joined today by Marlon Sundberg and Kai Dombrowski, creators of Orbit. Orbit is a time tracking and invoicing app for people who want to get paid. Their app features a beautiful design, supports Mac, iPad and iPhone, and it was launched just under a year ago in June 2020. I thought I'd have them both on the show to discuss their approach to developing the app and how they got into everything. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having us, Dave. And thanks for saying that it's uh, Orbit is beautifully designed. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> really, really, really nice intro. Thank you so much for that. Oh, I've been playing with the app yesterday, and um, yes, it, it's uh, really lovely to navigate around. And I can see all the, <laughs> the little bits of gloss and everything in there. Um, it's lovely to yeah. see. Thanks. Thank you. So first off, how did you meet and start doing business together? Because I know that you <laughs> you have a a like an agency business together, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're doing Orbit together as well. Mm-hmm. So take me back mm-hmm. to the beginning. <laughs> sure. uh, all right. You asked for it. That's going to be a long story. Yeah, the year was 1998. No, <laughs> it, it, not, not that long, but... Um, we uh, do you want to do you want to get started Kai? sure yeah um so and i we actually met so Malin is from uh sweden i'm from germany we actually met in france <laughs> um and that was when we were still in high school um and then i i tried to cut as much out of the story as possible so we met in france then when i finished high school uh i decided hey how about uh I moved to Sweden because Mo and I started kind of uh, dating and, and liking each other. So I was like, all right, I have nothing else to do. Might as well move to Sweden then. <laughs> so we lived in Sweden for a while, then uh, in Stockholm. Then we uh, decided that we want to study. So we moved to uh, Umeå, which is a city in almost at the Arctic Circle. I tend yeah, to say Arctic Circle. Yeah, we like to say Arctic Circle, Arctic circle because it sounds... It sounds- more hardcore but, but it's, it's <laughs> technically i think like 50 or 60 kilometers south of where the arctic circle yeah. starts no but matter it's what it's cold plen- plenty cold yeah. um yeah. Uh, and mon started studying um psychology there and i started studying business uh after <laughs> after our first winter and for for context umio winter is kind of lasting from i'd say september to may yeah <laughs> it's a very long winter mm-hmm. it's a long haul. and it's v- yeah, yeah, it's very cold. We had some minus 35, 38. I, I forget what the record yeah, was. I honestly think we had one of the coldest winters that they had had in a long time as well. And I think the thing that got to me was also the darkness. Like yeah, Sweden yeah. and Canada now are darker in winter, but there it's like we were sitting, I was sitting at a lecture hall and it was like completely like no windows in the lecture hall, but I was sitting there midday. And by the time I arrived at university, it was still dark out, but I could sit in the hall and I saw my computer screen going like brighter because I had an app called Flux at that point, which yep. like brightens the screen depending on where the sun is. So I could see my screen going brighter and brighter for like an hour. And then like by the end of the lecture, it already went dark again to like the oh. sunset mode. And that was it. <laughs> and yeah, we like that one hour was completely missed. Didn't get any sunshine throughout, yeah. throughout that yeah, it was month. W- one one part of the winter because in sweden university works a little bit differently uh you tend to not have as many lectures as in like australian or or north american universities so i had this one lecture scheduled every day and it was exactly for the one hour of sunlight and that was so depressing because you go to university in the dark you know you sit in this dark room or in this i mean the room was had artificial lights but no no windows and then you get out and it's you it's you missed again. you missed sunrise and sunset in an hour. It was Oof. yeah, it was crazy. 
So there was an entire, I think it was a two-week period where I didn't see the sun at all. Like, it, mm. it just seemed Stop. like a a mm. two-week period of dark. And obviously, not only is it dark, but it's also really cold. Mm -hmm. uh, so we decided, all right. And we also bicycled everywhere. I'm surprised yeah. we did that. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided, all right. Um, seems like this is too extreme for us. That might not be right. Um Where else would we want to move? So we kind of did our list of, of things we wanted, uh, things we want to experiment with, and things that were kind of given. So we wanted like an English-speaking country because one being Swedish, me being German, we thought let's let's settle on a on a language that we are both willing to to learn. Yeah, um, none of us should get an advantage. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> even leveled footing. Mm. Um, we wanted warmer. <laughs> that was a, that was a key key point. Key and we wanted to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we wanted a place where we could either afford to study or at least being able to work while we study because we didn't have like wealthy parents that would just say, sure, go go to US and we pay for your education. Yeah. Um so we, we, we needed to find a place where we could actually afford to to study by mm -hmm. working and paying for it. Um and when we looked at all of that, we decided, all right, Australia kind of fits that those criteria and i actually found an interesting loophole where the australian government uh the the swedish government paid for my education for you which was a really good kind of getting started too yeah and then I we think that's a story for that's a long story <laughs> that's another that's story yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then we moved to to australia um to perth because uh universities there were cheaper than in sydney so that was kind of meeting our threshold of all right we we can probably good afford balance. that mm. yeah Yeah. And then we lived in Australia, uh, changed to computer science uh, after mm -hmm. about a year. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we both started out studying different things and Kai took one uh, one course in computer science. And I think you just wanted to try because you've been thinking about it for a really long time. Like maybe that was something you want to do. So you tried a course and then I saw Kai's homeworks and all of the things that he like was involved in the, in the unit. And I was like, wow, that seems really fun. So then I ended up taking the same course and then we both ended up just doing computer science instead of business and psychology. Uh, it just felt a lot more fun, I think, like rather than like writing essays. Uh, yeah. For all your classes, mm. you're actually making making programs and making, yeah, like you're actually programming stuff. And, and it, it also just... felt like before that we were we're kind of okay with, but like studying business and psychology was kind of fun, but we definitely didn't have like a clear path mm. of what we wanted to do. Yeah. And w when we started doing computer science stuff, like the course itself was fine. It kind of got us into it. Mm -hmm. But once we kind of got into it and it was just this kind of mental barrier of like, I don't really know where to get started with development. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's right for me. But once we got started, we're like, all right, this is so clearly way more fun than writing uh, silly business essays <laughs> or psychology essays. Yeah. Um, and, and then we just completely uh, vacuum cleaned and, and sucked up all the knowledge we could find about software development and, and engineering. And we'd started doing like our own projects and mm. building websites and backends and iOS apps. Yeah. And it was just think, something we completely... I think I personally felt at that point that like there was so much out there related to computer science and software development that you could just learn yes. on your own. And I felt like, sure, I have the university part, but realistically, there were more like, there were no like mobile, comp like uh, mobile app development courses that we could take. And there were also so many things I felt like I had missed out on because you hear of people who have developing since they were like 12 years old. And I was like, oh, no, I, I really want to also get into this. And I just found that like, at that point, 
software development and programming became not just like the thing I wanted to do for work. It also became like my hobby and I saw. So yeah, I mean, it kind of like, like Apple stuff was already our hobby at that yeah. point, right? We've seen every Apple keynote since, I don't know, 2007 at least. Hmm. Um, and like 95Mac or Mac Rumors used to be the first website I would go to every hmm. morning, even before we got into tech. Yeah, I even remember listening to... Um, Marco Arman's podcast, um, Build and Analyze, Build and Analyze uh, already like probably in, whenever that came out, like mm. what was that, 2011 or something? Right. So 2010, probably older. But Terrible yeah, timelines. Like, uh, before I started like actually programming, I started listening to that now, but I, I enjoyed it. It was and really you would weird. always be, oh, now they talk about development, how boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, then we kind of really get into that and also we, we started taking on extra courses in in other countries just to because we, we were so excited about what we were doing that we did a lot of things outside of university so yeah. we kind of overtook the curriculum very quickly like we we just felt like all right this is not moving fast enough one one kind of uh i don't remember we did four four courses per semester or something and we're like all right we've got to get this done quicker because we want to actually start building stuff in the real world so yeah. mon and i actually started also being technically both studying locally but also on exchange at the same time and we actually enrolled in uh, university courses in sweden that we took simultaneously to to get more <laughs> points to graduate sooner so it was it, it really felt like all right we found a thing that's that we enjoy mm. and now let's let's get this done because we knew we needed a degree because um we we felt like we could do development and at that point we both already i don't know did you work as a software engineer at that point um no yeah i mean i started working as a developer already while i was still studying yeah. Yeah. um so it, yeah same for me i before <laughs> i started working as a software developer before i officially changed my major hmm. um so we we just felt like all right we we needed a degree because a degree is super helpful for anything related to immigration yeah. and we knew we probably didn't want to go back to to europe so we knew we needed a degree but we also want to get it done as quickly as possible. So we did that. Once we were done with that, we moved to Sydney because more tech and bigger city. Yeah. Mm. And look, you asked for the story. You're getting the <laughs> <a> story. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, within all of this, like, I can see this picture that you're, you're, you're learning hard, you're taking in as much as possible, mm -hmm. and you're also working at the same time, right? So you are fully immersed. This is like taking yeah. over <laughs> everything in your lives. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, like, how did you, how did you kind of transition into um, that phase of life, and then starting your 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 business, your agency together? What, what did that look like? <laughs> uh, they kind of fed into each other because Mon and I, we always wanted to do more. Like yeah. even when we worked in jobs, we worked there for whatever many hours the kind of the project required. But then we felt like, all right, let's let's now work on our own project yeah, because yeah. we 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 liked what we were doing. Yeah. So I think because we sort of were in the same industry and because we also like learned together um, while we were at university, we felt we we knew that we could work really well together, and we always enjoyed that. So we felt like even when we had different jobs in different companies after we were done studying, so that's when we moved to Sydney. Um, and that's when we had like very different worked at different companies. But even then, we like all our free time we spent talking about software development, was talked about like building products, and then we also did have those things on the side that we were working on together. So we knew 
for a long time that like we always wanted to do something together um no matter sort of what that looked like there was always something that we had going on um um so then when sort of we after moving to (laughs) you know and jumping ahead a bit but after living in sydney in sydney we actually end up having one job where we worked at the same company and we uh, were building a team together and sort of building this company's technology sort of initiative and we did that together and we thought that was really fun um but then we decided to move to to canada because we wanted to try something new we we knew that like we always been wanting to like we always been thinking about canada for a while even back when we were in sweden we were like maybe canada would be an option but then we knew that that was a cold place again so (laughs) but at some point when we were in australia when we sort of had um felt like we were at this sort of good point in our uh like in our working life, we felt like maybe we should try something new. Maybe this is a good time to actually go ahead and see what uh, what Canada is like, and maybe we should try it. And then, because of that, we couldn't work together anymore when we moved to Canada. So I got a different job, but we still kept on doing things on the side together, and we kept organizing meetups together. Um, but I think that's sort of like how it how it always came to be that we like we knew we wanted to do something together. So then, uh, a few years ago, when we wanted to get started building our own app and doing more agency work, we decided to do that together rather than separate. Does that summarize it, Kai? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know I jumped ahead a bit, but um, yeah, I I feel like we always have such a long story on like how how things came to be. But in in the end, we kind of knew that we want to work together Mm. uh, essentially for the entire time. It just needed to kind of work out in that way because there were always different kind of hurdles. Um, like for, if you move to a new country, sometimes uh, there are certain immigration things that make make it harder, right? You can, you can't yeah. just move to Canada and start your own business. Uh, you had to kind of have a certain uh, residency status to to even open a business and open business accounts and those kind of things. Yep. So we knew that eventually we want to work together, but we had to go through some procedures to get there. And then we started our business two years ago. Yeah, on Canada Day, actually. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Is, yeah, it's a bit funny. Um, yeah. Um, so, so that's pretty much how it's... <laughs> that's a very long answer to how we get into <laughs> development and how we got started working together. That's great. That's really great. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I, so you've got your, your digital agency, uh, which is Triple Glazed Studios, Mm-hmm. Which you you started on, on Canada Day over over in Vancouver, is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? You've got got the agency work there. That is that all sort of client work, pretty much. And then your product mm-hmm. stuff is kind of like a a division of your agency. Or how do things sort of all all come together in a, in a normal <laughs> week, a normal day? <laughs> Um, I mean, first of all, division makes it sound way bigger than it is. Yeah, it, it sounds very it's, official. <laughs> it it is um, Mala and me, so we're all the divisions. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and we always had a mixture of even even when we worked in like normal jobs, we always did some freelance work. Uh, like for example, we it sounds way more workaholic than it feels but like during like christmas holidays right we lived in a we lived in a foreign country all of our family were in europe so and we kind of our job didn't work so we thought hey what if we do some freelance work during the holidays because why not it's it's fun to work on products so might as well do some extra stuff then so we had our full-time 
job. And then during holidays, we would just take on some freelance work. So we, we did that already back then. And then when we moved here and started our business, we thought that seems like a good way of creating some level of income mm-hmm. to, to keep doing freelance work. But we definitely knew that we wanted to do our own projects. Mm-hmm. So it kind of became a nice synergy of we did we took on interesting freelance work that we thought would be fun to work on for various reasons. Either it's technically challenging or the product had a positive impact or mm-hmm. we, we thought it would have a positive impact or we would work with interesting people. Yeah. Um, and then all the time that wasn't filled by that or if we um, didn't need more income because we felt like we kind of hit what we needed to, we used that time to work on our own uh, product, which which is Orbit. Mm-hmm. And yep. also, again, in reverse, Orbit is a product that we wanted to exist for our freelance work, right? So it, it felt like a very nice kind of combination of things to work on because mm-hmm. every time we would do freelance work, we would find things that we didn't like with our product mm. that we would then write down and say, all right, those kind of things we want to fix in the future. And then once we were done, we would go and, and actually implement those features or fix those bugs or improve mm-hmm prove those flows so kind of is is a very nice uh ping-ponging between the two type of work that kind of both help each other mm. yeah but i think when we when we started doing triple glaze we knew that we wanted to build our own in-house product as well and our own our own app our own product but i think at that point we weren't really set on what we wanted to do but then it just naturally like we we needed a time tracking and an invoicing app and we probably tried like dozens of different ones and we we just felt like we wanted something that worked really nicely on the Mac primarily because that's where we spend at least eight hours every day. Yep. Um so we we figured like why this can't be so hard. Like so we we should we should try to make something and then we decided to get started making our Mac app. Um Mostly because we wanted ourselves, but also because we saw that like there were so many, there are many solutions, but there were f- some that like either they didn't have a great Mac app, they might not be like a native app, or it might just be a web version that they have. Uh, and other times it was just we couldn't find an app that did like that combination of things. Like we didn't have something that did time tracking and invoicing, and that's sort of the system yeah. that we worked with. We we track our time and then we send invoices based on that time. Um, which is quite a common use case if you are a freelancer of how you're billing. And then we also ended up going ahead and like adding project-based invoicing too, so you can use it for that if you want to. But we just felt like a tool that works with those two components just felt like something that was missing um and so also it was the period when swift ui came out and it was still kind of brand new and apple said on stage you can use this one framework for everything mm-hmm. so we're like all right challenge accepted let's <laughs> let's build something and let's try to use it in all of them and as we all know apple's focus has definitely been more on the iOS side of things uh until recently than the mac yeah. thing uh, side mm-hmm. so we're like all right let's let's really stress test this and try to build this entire app in swift ui and that was before big Sur came out so that was like the kind of first iteration of swift ui on the mac mm-hmm. so we thought cool this is both being going to be a technical challenge. We didn't know AppKit before, so that... Yeah, we actually thought it was like a perfect opportunity because like we had been thinking about doing Mac apps for a while. It just wasn't something that we had done like professionally for a while. Yep. We've we done like iOS and backend development as well. Um, but then we just felt like this is the perfect opportunity. Why not try to learn Mac development and SwiftUI at the same time? What can go wrong? <laughs> so we, we figured we, we should try that and really stress test it. And in the beginning, I was really positive when we started using it. Like, <laughs> yeah. you can get up and running. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. 
you, you could really get something up and running very quickly. We could get like our initial view. I think we got working within like a day. Yes. Uh, but then... We actually did build first as a kind of proof of concept. Mm. We built an app for a different solutions API just to kind mm -hmm. of see does does do we think we can throw together a Swift UI app yeah. uh, that kind of does what we want to. Mm -hmm. um, and once that proof of concept was done, we're like, cool, that seems to work. Let's now use that as a baseline for our our completely own with our own backend, our own kind of twist to a lot of the things. Mm -hmm. And let's build that uh, from there. Yeah. And I think that's when we started wanting to do like multi-window support and a bit more of a complex UX experience yep. and just a navigational flow. And that's sort of when we started feeling like we were that's, in that's the deep the ends edge. of... <laughs> yeah. 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 I was going to say, I see, see this edge um, kind of loom and appear um, for quite a few people, actually. There's, there's been other people on the show, I think, who've had similar experiences mm -hmm. with their, especially with SwiftUI mm -hmm. on the Mac, I think, more mm -hmm. than anything else. It's, it's, um, it's the environment where those edges become more apparent, I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think and if you've only done iOS stuff, it's surprising how complex mm -hmm. macros apps are. Mm -hmm. Because even if you just think of normal navigation, right? On on an iPhone, it's usually fairly... It, there's usually one way to each uh, kind of view, right? You often have like, all right, there's a list of things uh, or some kind of collection. You tap it, you segue to, to that view and you're kind of done. Mm -hmm. On yeah. a Mac, you often have like three ways to get to the same place and even three display options. Like for example... Um, if you have a list with invoices, you would kind of expect on the Mac that you can just click the invoice and you see it in, in kind of your detail pane. If you double click the list item, you would expect it to, to pop out into a separate window. And then often you also have like a right click that also spawns, uh, that also gives you the option of like creating a new window from it. Mm. And then sometimes you even have apps that support different tabs, right? You might have a tab where you have one tab with one part of the app open another tab with another part of the app open and there are always so many different ways and now the invoice detail view right it has to be fully resizable because mac apps have resizable windows you have yep. to expect for it to be in a separate window you have to be expect for it to be in in that detail pane so you kind of have to design it to be both mm -hmm. kind of compact but also be almost Tap infinite flex. size yeah uh, you have to expect there to be a lot of windows of the same thing mm -hmm. right you might have if you use our app, you might have 10 invoices open at the same time because you maybe do your accounting or you're, you just like to look at invoices a lot. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and both, yeah. <laughs> and, and now you have to deal with all of those kind yeah. of window management and having those open and yeah. still responding to kind of data, underlying data changes. I was going to say, and those things like data flows. And I think that's something we got in SwiftUI that was quite neat that we could just bind to different states and reflect the, inter reflect the data in the interface quite naturally. But I think once you start breaking that up into different windows, that becomes a lot trickier to mm. have that sort of reflection across the whole interface. Yeah, uh, Because you're no longer part of one view hierarchy, mm. right? You often have that if you pass like a um, value type in, into a view hierarchy and that value type is being changed up the chain, all the views down the chain would, would re-render. If you use AppKit to spawn a separate window, all of mm -hmm. a sudden you don't have this view hierarchy anymore. So those kind of things now kind of break and you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, 
So those were kind of the, the things that we ran into in, yeah. in the early days. Yeah, and I think in the early days there were certain things as well, like that were related to the fact that we had to bridge over to AppKit. I think if you're looking at big, using Swift Drive for Big Sur, there are other issues, but there are things related to like multiple windows and displaying that type of hierarchy that are like directly supported, but there are still some things missing. So we decided to like continue using our sort of app kit uh, implementation there. But and not yeah, knowing were, app kit probably also didn't help, right? Yeah. Because we, we never knew, is this us or is this the framework? Yeah, and yeah. also like trying to find any documentation on like Swift UI on Mac was really hard, but like even Mac, even like how to make something natively in AppKit was quite difficult to find. Yeah, especially you go to Stack Overflow and you see latest response 2004. You're yeah. like, oh no, <laughs> that yes. is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so it was definitely interesting sort of to, to be there in the early days. But, and I think what we noticed with Swift UI is that you really have your ups and downs. And that's what I was, the, what I was referring to in the beginning that like we could very quickly get something up and running, but then you do run into those walls and those sort of blockers. And you think like it shouldn't be that hard to present a window or it shouldn't yeah. be that hard to allow for someone to use the keyboard to move up and down in a list. But that was just not possible sometimes. And like the way that you sort of compose UIs and have like like a scroll view or a VStack or different components, they sometimes had different side effects for us. So we just really had to like experiment with those different Swift UI components to figure out how we could make something and that allows for all those different gestures that you expect on the Mac. But even there again, the Mac works very differently because the Mac has a lot of customization of how do people show uh, scroll bars, right? Mm -hmm. If you have yeah. a trackpad connected to your Mac, a scroll bar sh shows differently from if you only have a mouse connected, if you have the automatic switching on. Or you have people that turn on scroll bars to always show, mm -hmm. even if you're not scrolling and even if you're not having a mouse connected. Hmm. Um, so you kind of also have to... There, there are just a lot more kind of ways of displaying UI that you have to account for when you build your things that might not be the way you're using it. So there's a lot, very frequently, I guess it's kind of analogous to if you build an iOS app and you want to support accessibility, yes. you have to get your app into a state that you might not usually use it to to see what that looks like or to, to kind of experiment or experience your app in the eyes of someone else. Yep. And I think that is um, on iOS. I think most of us are fairly confident, comfortable mm -hmm. because we've done this for some time. But on the Mac, we kind of learned some of those the hard way. We're like, all right, let's try it this way. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, everything kind of looked wonky. Yeah. We're like, all right, all right. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't realize that was a way that people used the Mac. And then we had to go back and, and fix all the things. It's, it's yeah. kind of a, a form of um, a fragmentation after a point. I mean, all of these things are valid ways to use the app and they're valid configurations mm -hmm. to have on mm -hmm. your Mac. Um, but when you're used to only having your your own sort of path, that I could, some of those user experiences, I could imagine you were like, hang on a second, it, that's a thing that the OS can do or that's yeah. a thing we can yeah. get here? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think those are some things like I think many people, many users are opinionated about this as well. I think I mean you yeah. just like just like the discussion about whether or not you should have like what scroll direction you should use on your Mac. <laughs> like that's a big thing in the first place. And I think there's so many things where people are expecting an app to work in a certain way depending on how they are using their Mac. And if especially something doesn't work that way, people, it doesn't feel natural and native. Yeah, especially if people have custom settings, right? Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. someone picks a custom scroll bar 
style, it's probably because they wanted it to work a specific way, not because, you know, why would you go into your your um, system preferences mm -hmm. on your Mac and change the default behavior if you wouldn't care? So I, I think it's very important to obviously account for that. Mm -hmm. and, we, and that's what we have noticed as well. I, and I think we, we were sort of principle driven there that we knew that many apps that were maybe Electron apps uh, mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily supporting those system like system behaviors or those specific behaviors. And that's what we were sort of like, we really want to sort of double down and be like, okay, we're going to support keyboard shortcuts. We're going to support this type of navigating through. We're going to make sure that it looks good with this type of scroll bar. And we really, I think we, we went quite like, we, we wanted to provide a good experience. And we also felt like when you see a new framework like Swift UI, we really wanted to put it in the best light and not like, not, we didn't want our app to be, this app that you look at and you see, oh, they clearly didn't write this in app kit. And mm -hmm. we really want it to be like a native experience and something that is feeling at home on the Mac. And that's what we were missing so much. So I think we, we just, uh, we, we picked a framework that didn't really allow for this, or maybe it allowed for it, but it didn't have the documentation for how to do those things. So yep. I think we, we definitely played it in hard mode by doing that. But I think overall... <laughs> like even if we had those like headaches and hiccups on the way, I felt quite happy that we ended up using SwiftUI because in June last year, right after releasing the Mac app, we decided that we want to move over to making the iOS app. And we actually saw quite like speed improvements on like making the iOS app, not in terms of like reusability, because I think you should really think about macOS and iOS as different platforms and also iPadOS as a different platform. But what we saw was that like, because we had that Mac app as a, initial sort of starting point we could get something up and running quite quickly on ios and we could use that for example we didn't know how our logins flow sh would look like because we hadn't decided what we wanted that to be but yeah. we could use the mac os login flow which looked terrible on ios but we could use that in order to get into the app and then start working on like the key components of the app and how that should look like and we felt it was actually quite a smooth process because we had something that worked and then we could iterate on there and make sure that we had something that was specifically designed for ios or ipad os right. uh, so we actually saved some saved some time with oh, that a huge amount yeah. i mean the entire ios app took us less than a month i think it took four month. weeks yeah, yeah. how um, and the, how, yeah how much difference is there between the, the, the three platforms are you reusing much between them at all so we're reusing certain components and i think that's something you notice with swift ui that like it sort of encourages you to like componentize certain ui parts so um you can very much sort of use it like a like you can split things into different puzzle pieces or different Lego pieces, if you want to call it that, and sort of combine those things. So what we did was that we structured the code base. Once we knew what we wanted to reuse on iOS, for example, we have a graph view. We knew that we had certain graphs and we wanted them to look the same on iOS and macOS. So we really tried to componentize those different parts of the app so that we then could use that for iOS. So on iOS, that's being laid out in a V stack rather than an H stack, which it does on macOS. So those things we could reuse, but it was very much about like reusing components and make sure that like that fits use them where it makes sense because like the graph again is something like the dashboard was something that was very custom and we wanted to look in a certain way and we wanted to look the same on macOS or on iOS so that's something we could reuse and then there were other things that were just like with modifications yeah like for yeah. example we have bar charts 
Um, and on macOS, they, they kind of show details on hover because mm -hmm. that's a fairly natural thing to do on a Mac, right? You have a mouse, so you can hover over things. Mm. On yeah. an iPhone, hovering kind of doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Hold your finger over something, nothing happens. So yeah. we decided, how about we do on tap instead yeah. on, yeah. on, on iOS? So yeah. Yeah. Those kind of small modifications mm -hmm. um, saved us so much time because mm -hmm. overall the bar looks the same. We didn't have to redesign the bar. We didn't have to redesign the kind of spring animations that the bar comes in. We didn't have to redesign any of the data flows or, or how we're calculating it. But we, we just made the small change of saying, all right, on tap, we're showing a difference. And that saved us so much time. That's brilliant. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, we could reuse certain components, like we might want a table view to have a certain sort of cell layout or a row, then we could reuse that row, but it looked very different because we displayed in a very different way on macOS and iOS. But we never had the goal of reusing code. No. I mean, most of our, all of our data structures and, and kind of our data flows, they are the same across all platforms because they kind of work the same. And it was actually super comforting when we built the iOS app that we knew, all right, as far as data goes and network calls and all of that, 100% reused, right? It's the yep. same code base. Mm -hmm. It's just very comforting to know, all right, the basics work. So mm -hmm. every time we show something that might not look right, it's it's UI work. But mm -hmm. we know that the data that backs all of the UI is is right or should be right at least. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and we could also test that when, when we make changes to that, we can just test it on iOS or macOS because the logic is the same. Yeah. yeah. So I would say as far as like the, the kind of logic and network code, that's probably 95% or 99% mm -hmm. shared. Uh, UI code, I'd say maybe 30% is is shared to some extent. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's just nice to have one file that you know you can present on either platform. So we sometimes have uh, layouts that are fairly different on both platforms mm -hmm. and we just kind of conditionally compile compile the if if um os is mac os then this one mm. if, if it's ios then the other one um and they, they kind of look very different but it's kind of nice to to be able to say all right i want to show this this particular time entry and you just say time entry view with this time entry um and you don't have to like mentally remember all right it's it's, it's this component on mac os it's this one mm. on ios it's this one on ipad os it's just sometimes useful to to have it be named the same have the same parameters just yep. just for like development flow mm. despite mm -hmm. the code actually not being shared yeah do you end up with like two separate files with sort of um if defs inside of them for each platform yeah quite often yeah. we did that uh, when there were things like the graph that kai mentioned where we wanted to have like specific be behavior like if tap versus clicking um not tap versus hovering then that was something that we had like conditionally in that file because we knew that overall the ui was use mm -hmm. like, it was something that we want to use across both of them so it sort of depends on the level but often like the, the example example that kai is mentioning with like having the same name across the platforms we would just have like two different files include each of them in different targets uh, and then yeah. be able to use sort of that one interface for it um, well, that makes sense. and also yeah and another thing that i thought was like really nice with ui with swift ui is that it really sort of bridges over and you can use the same tool for both of the platforms mm -hmm. and um even if even if you end up writing things multiple times because it should look different on them i think it's a time saver to just like only write swift ui i mean yeah in our scenario we did move over to AppKit for mac os on some points and i think we probably have like 
90% of the iOS code is uh, SwiftUI, but 10% is UIKit or probably 85. I think it's 8020 now. Yeah. Now. yeah. Um, so there are definitely places where we still need to move over, but I think it's quite nice to have like SwiftUI as the one framework that you can use across across the two, even if you end up making very different interfaces. And it's often because interacting between SwiftUI and AppKit or SwiftUI and UIKit is pretty um, easy once you kind of get a hang of what you actually have to do. It, it's nice because then you can still kind of work in the SwiftUI pattern, right? You, you just you, you kind of wrap your AppKit component, UIKit component. You might even give them, you know, it's similar similar to other parts. We might have before Apple added their own kind of progress indicator. We just had one file that wrapped the iOS one or the macOS one. So, and yeah. then on the call side, we didn't have to worry about um, that it the the same kind of Swift mm-hmm. UI view would call an AppKit or a UIKit component behind it the scenes. We it just build know, it ours. Need to care. Exactly. exactly yeah. yeah. So on, on like us composing UIs, we didn't we didn't have to know or care either. I mean, we mm. obviously didn't know, but we we it's just we we describe our UI in Swift UI and uh, all the states update and everything behaves the way we want. And then if we bring it over to the other platform, we have something that already runs and and kind of works, and then we just tweak it from there. Mm. Can you tell me like what did your launch for Orbit look like? Like how how things sort of progressed since, since last year? What did they look like at the time, and and then sort of onwards afterwards? Yeah, so I think um, yeah, we launched for iOS in oh, no, sorry, we launched for macOS in June. I think one week before WWDC, and we we were sort of excited to like have it out before because we knew there would be a lot of changes. So we wanted to have like a clean slate when we. When everything new came we out. We also wanted ink because we, we ran into some of the rough, uh, rough edges uh, of SwiftUI on the Mac. We thought, all right, we also got to get it out before. So if, if anyone kind of wants to evaluate our app, they know this is the original SwiftUI one. <laughs> we, we didn't we didn't know yeah. about any of the new things yet. So mm-hmm. we, we kind of had set ourselves that, all, like, I mean, obviously Big Sur didn't come out until much later in the year, totally. but we kind of set ourselves this kind of arbitrary deadline of like, all right, we got to at least ship this before mm-hmm. all the new stuff comes out because otherwise you, you know how it is right you, you watch a keynote you watch the state of the union and then yeah. you're like oh now we should really yeah, rewrite you, a whole bunch of yeah, stuff and, yeah. and update you, and use all new new stuff so yeah. we wanted to be sure we have something out before we see all the new stuff that would mm-hmm. save a lot of our time mm-hmm. and um yeah one reason why we started with macOS was because that was where we did our work but we also thought that starting out launching on macOS would potentially help us as well in terms of like writing about our experience we thought having a swift ui app on the mac was quite interesting we like so we decided to like share our experience and talk about like our launch on twitter um and i think because we launched on mac os there was we were like we actually managed to get featured on the app store so we were in the apps and games we love right now um so we were super excited to see that we were actually being picked up there and i think that was something that we sort of we're hoping for when we started out make like when when we when we released for macOS first because we thought there's a bigger chance there are fewer apps coming out on the mac and we thought it's quite we had some potential of being featured because of that so like having yeah. a new app on the mac is something that uh, can potentially be like more recognized by apple and we were fortunate to for that to happen and we were featured for i think a week because again like the, there are not that many mac apps so there weren't that many things sort of coming into that list so we were on like the app uh, app store front page for i think a week or 10 days wow um 
which was super exciting. So we like in terms of like numbers, we could see like the impression numbers were like in the millions, and we're like, wow, that's that's exciting. But it's, realistically, everyone who goes to the app store does not need a Mac, <laughs> doesn't need a time tracking and invoicing app. But yep. it was pretty cool to like go to meetups and people had actually recognized our logo and they seen it on the app store, even if they might not need the app. But I think it definitely skewed our numbers, but <laughs> it was really cool to like see it out there and see it on the front page for such a long time. And yeah, we were also fortunate. I, I don't know how much of those were kind of knock-on effects, but we were also, we had a really nice article on 9to5Mac. Mm-hmm. We had a, had one in iMore and Mac Rumors. So there yep. was a lot of press coverage that we got for yeah. it as well, which was just super exciting because yeah. when you when you build a product that's kind of what you hope right mm. like if we're super lucky we, we might get into one of those mm-hmm. but it was actually quite exciting because we, we we're like you know go to nine to five mac in the morning and there's our app and there's an article mm. uh, written about our app so mm. that was and i think that dream yeah, yeah, and I think like picking Swift UI on macOS definitely helped us to get some traction there. Um, and what we noticed was that there seemed to be, as I mentioned, like everyone doesn't need a time tracking invoicing app, but there were many people who seemed interested in just checking out the app. So what we decided to do, I think within the first, I think, Week? yeah, I think like one, within the first three days after we sort of got up on the front page of the app store, we thought we should add like a way for people to explore the app and see what the app looks like without having to create an account. So we, since we got so many people who were interested in checking it out, we decided to add a thing called tourist mode, which is basically a way for you to like get thrown into like the app after it's been used for two months and see like an example account. Because realistically, our example app is data. example data. Yeah. Uh, because realistically, the app looks the worst on the first day because you don't have any data that you've been tracking. You don't have any time entries and those things. So we really wanted to show people what the app will look like after it's been used for a while and show what the graphs look like and show what the time entries look like. Um, so we ended up adding that um, just so people could like experiment with a Swift UI app more. And I do think that probably helped people like yeah. see what it was about and see how Swift UI works on the Mac and um i think that helped us with the with the launch as well and with the it might have helped us with some of the features yeah and it'll help you um bring users in as well right because like you say when you first see things and they're blank you don't know mm-hmm. what it's going to look like when you start using it um so i can imagine mm-hmm. that could be quite a good route for you to be be bringing people into in mm-hmm. as customers as well um especially because we we also don't have a free plan Mm -hmm. uh we're working on that but um we kind of had that paywall very Mm -hmm. early on right and if people just find something i think a different intense right if you're if you're looking for a time tracking invoicing app and you find us you might be like all right i started trial because i'm my intent is Mm -hmm. to to find time tracking invoicing app that i might want to use to run my business for the next five years right very very strong intent on in that kind of uh mindset mm-hmm. well if you find us through a feature in the app store you might be like ah, i don't know maybe i could use the time tracking app let me try it out but if you then see a paywall you're like ah but i i didn't need it like 10 minutes ago yeah, so maybe yeah. i don't yeah. even try yeah and maybe i also think people might want it later so they want to use up their trial just for checking out an app at that point yeah yeah so um, it gives you gives you quite a good window into the mm. app and just just for bringing people through. Yeah, um, yeah. But we do we definitely would like to make it a bit more frictionless to get that experience as well. Then we're thinking so at the moment we are working on like how we can have like a free plan that is uh, a bit more limited in the feature set that still lets people sort of see how it is after using it for a while. So we're we're working on that at the moment. Um 
as well, just to make it even less friction, more, more frictionless. <laughs> I have to ask because I'm really curious. How have you found um, how have you found sales and that side of things in terms of sustaining the de- developments of the app? Um, um, that one is interesting mm-hmm. um, because it was so hard to judge in the early days, right? Because as Martin mentioned, we had millions of impressions and a lot of downloads. Are like, whoa! Uh, let's see how many people actually started, and we noticed that we actually had not a great uh, conversion rate from people downloading it or we had a pretty decent one from people downloading it um to to creating accounts but few people uh fewer people then created uh, started their free trial mm-hmm. but once people started their free trial um i think it was around 50 percent then actually s- stayed on as paying customers mm-hmm. which really we thought good. was pretty good mm-hmm. so we we spent the last uh few weeks and months um or the first few, like we want to launch the iOS app, but then after that, a good amount of effort went into making sure that that flow is getting better. And we're still still working on that. So we're kind of ping-ponging between like adding new features for existing customers, but also making making that flow um, mm. nicer and, and, and remove, removing the friction. Yeah, so another we had thing a, that we... Sorry, okay. No, you go. Another thing we've seen is that once people actually start get past the trial period, we don't have very like we have we have very low churn rates, so people actually yep. tend to stay quite mm-hmm. uh, stay with us, and I think that makes us feel positive about like the people who want to use the app. We think like people who are giving it a chance and trying it out, they seem to really like it, and they seem to be sticky and decide to like continue using it in the long term. Um, but yeah, it, we have struggled sort of getting people onto that route in the first place. And I think that is a lot because we are requiring a subscription account up front. And we are also yeah. very open with that. We are very much like explicitly saying you need an account. Once you have an account, you have to pay this much per month. And that is maybe something that makes people more reluctant, but we just didn't want people to feel like they sign up for an account and then they have to get the subscription and then they're sort of irritated by that. So we really want to be upfront about that. But it's tricky with Apple systems. System. Like there are a lot mm-hmm. of, I mean, at the moment there are a lot of in, in in the tech circle news. There are a lot of talk about like scam apps, right? And there's probably a good amount of people who've been burned by a subscription app before, that, where they yep. start a subscription, they forgot to unsubscribe, mm-hmm. and now they're being charged. And we yeah. really want to make sure that we don't get money from people that do not want to use our app. Mm-hmm. So we we're, we're trying to be extremely explicit, probably to a point where it hurts our sales to be like, all right, this is how much it will be, mm-hmm. this is how much you have to pay. We make it really easy to unsubscribe. We have like links in, in, in your profile, like yeah. where where we show the subscription you're on. We also have a link to to the uh appropriate place on the Mac App Store or the iOS um interface to to unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. Um but we wanted to because it's a bit awkward to it's way easier to subscribe than to unsubscribe mm-hmm. right um so we wanted to be initially extremely clear on this is how much you will pay this is how it, how it will work and only do this if you actually want this mm-hmm. yeah. um so as a result of all of that um sales initially were pretty good but it was hard to sustain that past the features mm-hmm. um like we had a really good kind of bump in the in the beginning but then once um, we kind of moved on from being featured on the front page of the App Store. It kind of plummeted mm-hmm. quite a lot. And then when we launched our Iris app, we were, again were fortunate enough to be featured and got some press coverage. And then the same thing happened again. Like we we 
increased a bunch of new uh, paid users and then that was it again mm -hmm. um yeah so at the moment we're both trying to figure out like how can we give people a a chance to try the app because mm -hmm. we, we have noticed that people like it once they start trying it. So we're trying to think about like, how can we do that and make that frictionless? But also how can we sort of be in charge of the flow of new uses coming in? So we are experimenting with different type of uh, like ways of advertising the apps. Like we, we started with more advanced search ads soon. And we're also trying like rather than always having those sort of spikes when we're featured, we rather want to have a way for us to like see people see where people are coming from and see that people are uh, downloading the app and so we're, we're experimenting with that and different approaches for it but awesome. we're also we've also been very sort of cautious about like we, we are we would prefer not to add third-party frameworks or third-party analytics frameworks specifically to our app um, so we're also sort of been playing around with like how can we do Twitter ads without having to add the Twitter and the Twitter SDK to our app. Yeah. Um, so it's been a bit of, there's, it's sometimes difficult to measure like what the success is of advertisement if you don't have those things. Um, but yeah, we're, so we're still experimenting with that and trying to think like how we can like measure and see where people are coming from by like routing them to our website rather than routing them to the app store. Um, but yeah, well, it's very much still sort of in the experimental phase, but that's the next thing we want to figure out. Like, how can we, how can we find like an ad or a way for us to like get new users in? And uh, Because we... now we're at a point where we're pretty happy with the functionality mm -hmm. of the app once you make, make it through that funnel. But we realized that now we actually have to do the business side of things a yeah. little bit more and actually figure out, all right, how do we get more people in? Because at the moment it doesn't, um, like all of our freelance work pays for our life and Orbit is, is kind of a nice bonus. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but we would obviously like that to be a bigger chunk because long yeah. time, long term, we definitely want, would like to spend more time working on things that we care about, both that being Orbit, but also other projects that we would like to do. Mm. Yeah. That yeah. We were hoping that Orbit will kind of be a very good kind of baseline yeah. to support our... Because we always try to avoid... Um, trying to raise money mm -hmm. because that's a very much uh, we always consider this a place where it's easy to to take on money and then you kind of you, you either have to sell or you have to uh, you know mm -hmm. uh, it kind of is it's either going to be wildly successful or you kind of crash and burn so we thought what if we're trying to kind of self-fund this with mm -hmm. kind of freelance work get it to a point where it makes enough money to slowly roll uh, reduce our freelance hours or other hours and and spend more time on our own projects and then use that as a as a way forward um to to finance f um future projects and obviously yeah. that also allows us if we get to a really good baseline that would pay for life and we do live in one of the most expensive cities in in the world which doesn't help mm -hmm. um but if we get to a baseline where Orbit would pay for our cost of living, then we can also tackle things that are like Orbit took us. How long did we work on it? I think the iOS app was about iOS app with the backend and the marketing and you the mean website macOS? was. Oh, sorry, macOS. Yeah, uh, that was uh, four months, I think, and then yeah. the iOS app was four weeks. Uh, 
which sounds crazy in comparison, but um, yeah, so five months there. But then there were many things that like we still have many features we want to add. But, but it's it's um, we we do have projects in mind in the future that mm. we might want to do alongside with Orbit that we might not be able to ship in four months, like something mm. that might take six, seven, eight months to even get to a one point zero, and it would be we would try to get into a, a position where Orbit can pay for the development of of things like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we're hoping to to get to at some point yeah Brilliant. yeah so i think in the same way as like orbit was sort of bootstrapped into this point we want to be able to like we would ideally want to use orbit to like f pay for other things and pay for like um yeah basically help that to fund our next but also allow thing. us to take take bigger risks right mm -hmm. if you have a really good baseline it's a lot easier to take risks because they're not actually risks at that point you know if you if you have orbit a thing that we keep supporting and working on it, mm -hmm. um and kind of improving things but it's it's the baseline is is paying for every like replacing our salary mm. or at least to a point where, where we feel comfortable then doing things that might not work out are not mm. that risky because worst case we we, we just it's you know buffered, yeah. it, it gives you yeah. that yeah. foundation and yeah. that buffer to do those yeah. things mm. and, and and i think that's in two ways it's both taking risks and working on like whatever our next like our next product is that we want to work on but also if we want to do some bold changes to orbit and we want to sort of move that to the next step we have like a few different ideas that would require a lot of sort of upfront work and i think if we would know that we have sort of that base income from it then we would feel a lot more comfortable making those sort of riskier um time sinks into it um but yeah we we, we very much want to sort of continue um seeing where it goes and try to get it to that point where it's like stably making uh making um like getting more and more users in and that's what we're experimenting with ads at this point and experimenting with, with different ways of marketing it. and i think we're in a good space because um we think we have a better project than uh, a better product than most of the other products that we're competing with but yep. they make more money so mm -hmm. that means uh our the ceiling is still very high because if they can make money with a way inferior product <laughs> i'm sure we can get there with a way better product yeah yeah your potential for market share is is definitely there yeah yeah that's that's at least what we like to tell ourselves <laughs> let's see how, how how we get there but it's a very different game right building a product is is one thing and we do always want to keep approaching it that way we always want to make the product better mm -hmm. um and and like a word of mouth is is a great marketing tool right mm -hmm. it is great because you actually have happy customers it's great because um it's it's free that that does help right mm -hmm. um so we always want to have a balance of like all right let's let's do um let's improve the product to a point where people are happy to recommend it to mm -hmm. their you know their their i mean at the moment people might not hang out with friends as much but at some point we'll hopefully get to a point that new mm -hmm. zealand is at the moment already yeah um that that people actually like meet friends and you know if if you're <laughs> meet friends and talk about their invoicing apps, yeah. that's, that's always the but you know the it, it's often that like we, we like freelancers might have other freelance mm. friends or work yeah. with other freelance mm. uh, people or that you know because those are the communities that you kind of hang in yeah uh, but, so you're that you advertising and that side of stuff now i think that will help feed you feed that sort of word of mouth later on as well, even more than than what you've got already. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a hope, and also yeah. that having the free plan in the next few weeks or months mm. um, will help more people to get into it. And maybe some of them. I mean, at the moment we're kind of thinking that we're limiting it to uh, two clients um, for free. Um, 
it, it probably is enough for some people to just use our app happily. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're happy customers, didn't pay anything, uh, but they might still recommend it to other people. So mm-hmm. we always want to have a balance of like, let's pay for ads to get new people who our app is useful for to, to get them to, to try it out. And hopefully they're enjoying it and they're willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But also improve features to a point and and make the app nicer where people just want to share it with people as a as a good tip for someone else who's who might need something that we mm. built um yeah but also another thing that we're trying to do is like as we are like we're also really trying we noticed that the users that we get are not the people that we thought we would get <laughs> uh yeah. we very much sort of assume that the users would be people like the the two of us, people who are developers, designers, creative people uh, who are just like working on client work. But we got in a lot of people in like different areas that are where I think sort of word of mouth is more of a thing. So we get a lot of lawyers asking for specific features. Are you calling and, lawyers well. not creative? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but we, but, but we did get quite sectors. a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have that. We also have some people who are more in the, the music industry. I actually think the current new users, lawyers, is the biggest chunk. Mm. Because law software, when when I got more and more support requests from lawyers for kind of lawyer re-features, um, I, I looked into, all right, what do lawyers use at the moment? Um, and law software, on average, is not that great. So I see why... why why they would rather use uh, our app mm-hmm. because i mean lawyers are for a time tracking app i mean lawyers usually paid by time right mm. and yeah. they're very strict about their time they want to have very precise time mm-hmm. uh they want to have things like rounding to certain intervals like we've had lawyers that always round to the closest six minutes because then it looks as a decimal on the invoice looks always nice and round some yeah. lawyers round to I don't want to share too much information about how lawyers bill, but some of them round up to very uh, high uh, increments. Um, so we mm. added invoice rounding as a thing mm. that, I mean, it's useful for everyone, but exactly, lawyers yeah. were just keeping on asking for invoice rounding. So we yeah. added that. And that's the thing. When we get sort of customer support requests, we try to think about like, I, I don't necessarily think that you should always do everything your users are asking you for. I think you should look at like, what is the actual problem that this user is having? Yeah, take a step back. Yeah, exactly. So we really try to see like, okay, some people asked for um, the ability to um, like to see their, what was that? I think they, they asked for the ability to like see all their older time entries at a place or edit their old time entries. Um, and like the obvious, there was one that we had like multiple suggestions from people for how that should look. But then we sort of tried to analyze it and see like, what are people actually trying to do with this? And in the end, many people actually needed that rounding the invoice rounding and that was actually what helped them in the end so like yeah. we try to like see like what are they actually asking for and how can we make some new feature that benefits a lot of different users rather than having to like chase specific features that each individual user wants we try to always like look at it from a higher level and see like how can we use this feed this feedback and make the product better and then we noticed when we started adding those features like the rounding of the um like the like the time rounding then we actually got a lot of those people contacting us and saying like thank you this is exactly what i actually need yeah i think the invoice rounding was so successful of an addition of a feature that that was the first time i think ever um that we released a feature and we immediately got uh, emails from people that we that didn't even ask for the feature before just people saying love the new update invoice rounding amazing (laughs) (laughs) that is as good of a support request as you can get yeah um but also i do like because the subscription business model i really like that 
we're in a mindset of like just shipping updates very frequently. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I think we release like mm -hmm. small uh, updates every every couple of days, at least once a week, not mm -hmm. because we set it as a schedule, just because we're like, all right, this feature is done. We've mm -hmm. tested it. We're, we're happy with it. Yeah. Let's send it to people because, you know, um, first of all, yeah, like no adding features is, is good for people that need mm -hmm. them, but also that allows us to kind of iterate in UI changes. Like we made, if you look at version 1.0 and on macOS, I think we're now at 1.16. Um, there have been a lot of UI changes, but mm -hmm. they've all been incremental mm -hmm. to a point where if you started at 1.0, you'll still feel comfortable with it now. But had we jumped from 1.0 to, to where we are now, there would have been a lot of things that are kind of different. So it's mm -hmm. also nice for people that use it in a professional setting, right? We're not, we're not a, a game where you're like, you changed the entire world and people are excited about it. Mm -hmm. If we would change everything in our app, a lot of people that rely on it for work, they would probably be disgruntled that they now have to learn their, the new, yeah. uh, your entire UI change. So we're, yeah. we kind of really embrace our subscription pricing mm -hmm. model with releasing things very frequently. And yeah. speaking of, in preparation for this podcast, we, we submitted builds so that our apps would actually be in waiting for review because we thought that would be super <laughs> fitting. So we currently <laughs> have both of <laughs> the iOS app and the macOS app are both waiting for review as we speak. Oh, that's brilliant! Oh, you'll have to send mm. me send send a screenshot that just shows that that status. That, that'd be <laughs> yeah. quite cool. Yeah. Uh, hope, unless they've been approved or rejected by now, I'll, I'll have a look. Yeah, it's quite fast <laughs> these days. Um, yeah. yeah, I know. It, it has been awesome talking to you both, uh, but um, I'm gonna we're gonna round the show up now, so. Before we go, where can people find you both online? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Marlin Sundberg, so just my first name, followed by my last name. Um, and yeah, Kai is Air Kai. Thanks. Yeah. Air like air that you breathe, and Kai like Kai <laughs> that Brilliant. you want to talk to on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll link you all in the yeah. uh, in the show notes. I'll link all bits as well, so uh, listeners can go and check you all out. Um, and they can awesome. check out Orbit. Mm. And awesome. as always, if there's any feedback, uh, please let us know. We're, we're excited to get feedback. Yeah, and definitely. And if anyone is in any kind of financial hardship but would benefit from using Orbit, please feel free to to reach out to either me or Marlin. We're more than happy to send like a promo code for, for free access. I mean, obviously, if you can afford it, Please pay because that would help us. Mm. <laughs> but if you if you do struggle financially due to COVID or or other reasons, uh, feel free to send us a message. We're we're more than happy to to help out. That's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks again for having us, Dave. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>